word tells us that we are in your grasp and nobody can snatch us out of your hand. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for that security that you give us as we move forward, Lord, in all that you've called us to do. So once again, Father, as we gather together to open your word, to study it, I just pray, Father, that you would strengthen us and how much more so in this necessary area of faith. And so, Lord, as we gather together as a church, we just pray, Father, that you would bless us corporately, bless us individually, and I just pray, Father, that we would return in humble service to our God. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Just bless us in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? You're just going to hang? You might as well just stay there. Just stay there. Stay. stay. I mean, you can come up here, Jim, but just wait there. Don't drink my water. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We'll be starting at verse 1, and as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seats. If there isn't, though, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Just raise your hands. Good. Okay, before we get started, though, it's Operation Christmas Child season, and Jim and Dee Simmons are the ones who facilitate it here at our church, and so they've got a few words to say. Stay there? Yeah, it's... It, am I on? Go over there. I'll just come up here. Don't be shy. It's hard to believe it's already been a year since last year, Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child was founded in 1990 by a, a, an evangelist man from uh, North Wales. It started, he had a, a vision. He had compassion for the uh, children in Romania, in orphanages in Romania. So what he did, he and 17 other uh, fellow helpers that came along board with him, they packed several trucks and drove to Romania with these shoeboxes and passed them out among the children in Romania at these orphanages. Since then, uh, Samaritan's Purse came on board in 1995. And from 1995 until now, over 135 million shoeboxes have been delivered to these children in these third world countries and here here in the states too i can't say more any more about these boxes these boxes are filled with love but most important of all they're filled we we call them a go box and the go stands for uh, gospel opportunity these boxes are filled with not only the toys and trinkets that are 
in the boxes, but they're also filled with a gospel message and the opportunity for these children and their families to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Over the years, they have, like, like I said, they have collected more than 135 million boxes, and these boxes have gone to 150 different countries and territories throughout the world. I have uh, several testimonies of letters that we received back from recipients of boxes that we sent out, and yeah, I won't go into it now, but if you want to hear any of the stories that we've experienced, we'll be out in the foyer at our table. Like I say, I can't say any more about the boxes. They're, you know, they're a part of me. Dee and I, we've been involved with Operation Christmas Child for, well, 27 years now, ever since the day one. So... Yeah, I want to turn it over to Dee, and she's going to share some about packing a box. Good morning, everybody. I just want to first of all tell you we have some changes to custom requirements this year as far as the boxes go. In the past, you've been able to put toothpaste in your boxes. You can no longer put toothpaste in your boxes because the boxes won't make it through customs if you do. Also, you cannot put any liquids of any kind or anything that will become a liquid would heat. You can't enclose those. And also a new change this year because of customs, you cannot put any candy of any kind. Used to be just chocolate, now it's no candy at all. Um, Those of you who've never done boxes before and aren't sure what it's all about, just talk to us at the table. I also have a list this year that gives you ideas of what you can put in your boxes for the different age groups. And it also has this box up here that tells you what you cannot put in. As always, you cannot put any weapon-type toys or war toys because most of these boxes go to war-torn countries. And so we don't want to perpetuate that with the kids. Most importantly to remember, Operation Christmas Child this year is hoping to put out an extra 15 million boxes this year. And we're challenging each of you to be a part of that. Even if you can only send one box, even if you don't want to do a box but you want to donate to ship the boxes, you can do that. But we hope that every one of you will be involved and just bless a child across the world with the message of Jesus because that's what these gifts are about. It's not so much what you put in the gifts. It's the fact that you pack something for a child you don't know. They feel your love that comes to them. Many of them have never had a gift before. And this is the first gift they're receiving. Also, when you do a box, put in a picture of yourselves or a little note, your address. A lot of times you'll get a response back from the child. And that's just so exciting. So we're just hoping you're going to get on board. Pick up your boxes starting today. Bring them back early. Don't wait until collection week to bring them back. Just start bringing them in. There's already 16 here. Start adding to them next week. And we love you all, and we just pray that you'll catch this vision and be a part of it. And and one more thing before I leave, I want to leave you with the scripture. 
Proverbs 29:18 says, "Without a vision, the people will perish." Dave Cook, who started Operation Christmas Child, Franklin Graham, who was Samaritan's Purse, they both had a vision, and that's what I want to challenge you with. Challenge you all with catch that vision and let's bless some children overseas. Okay, God bless. We see the opportunity that exists with the earthquakes that have been going on, the floods, and all of these things across the world. This is a opportunity. You may think it's such a small way. I mean, you know, shoe boxes for stuff that you buy from the dollar store, whatever. But it's able to make impact and open the doors for the gospel. Um, Jim and Dee mentioned that they have a table out there. The shoe boxes are there. You can pick them up. They don't have to be returned. I don't remember exactly the date. I think it's the second week of November, maybe the third week of November, sometime around there. Somebody have what? Don't wait till the last minute. You mean big trouble. You have to face D. An angry, it's a horrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry D. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter, who? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Father, once again, we look at this necessary element of our Christian lives, faith. Faith, Lord, that brought us into our Christian life. Faith that continues that, well, just needs to continue throughout every step that we take in you. So, Lord, we just come to you once more this morning, asking that you would bless us and guide us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, considering your life, when we're looking at this subject of faith, I'd have to ask you, is what best tells the story of your Christian life? Is it a photo or is it a video? My life growing up, go over to my mom's house, they, instead of photos, they were more of the slideshow kind of things. But we were over at my mom's not too long ago, and she had taken all the old Super 8 videos, we didn't even call them videos, Super 8 home movies, and she put them on a CD. And so I was looking at pictures of me when I was just a matter of weeks old, and, and I saw myself all the way through to the time that I was married. And it really, it, it tells a story. It shows you the totality of a life. The thing about a photo is, it shows you what was going on in just a millisecond of your life. I looked it up, an iPhone 8, its shutter speed will go down to one two-thousandth of a second. How was your Christian life? And you're going to show God one two-thousandth of a second of your Christian life? God's not a photo guy, if you will. He's a video. And he wants to see the totality of your Christian life. And so video just shows us so much more because it includes so much more. And so we want to just bring God just the little snapshots. We want to bring him all the good and glorious times in our lives. Well, the problem is, again, God's got in, uh, this album of, of everything that has occurred in our lives. And it's okay. And it's okay. Because it's all God desires that we do. Not to live a perfect life, 
put it, to exhibit faith. Faith in the day that we were saved, by grace we've been saved through faith, but also that we would take every step of our Christian lives in faith. And so God is interested in the full-length video. And so you have to ask yourself, what's yours going to be? What kind of Christian video are you going to present to God? Is it action-adventure, going forth and making disciples? Is it romance, something that expresses the deep love that you have for your Savior? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? See, the comedy and drama, there's really not a whole lot of substance there. Either way, all of our videos, they're going to be a documentary on faith. And so how's your documentary going? How's your, is it lining up with the Word of God? Is it lining up with the desires of the Lord? Is it something that reflects what God has done to the capacity to which he has given us, this ability to walk in faith? As we read, I, mean, I read my Bible portion this morning, is it, is it building my faith? Am I being strengthened in my faith daily? Or has faith just kind of become a thing of the past? Am I failing in my faith? Again, look where you were a year ago. Are you where you were, spiritually speaking, a year ago? Are you moving forward in your Christian life? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Each one's work or each one's life will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. This is purification process. And the fire will test each one's work or each one's life of what sort it is. And so last week, we have been looking at some snapshots, without a doubt. These moments and times that we would make a determination today, are you holding fast to faith? Or are you slipping away? Because everybody here is either holding fast to their faith or slipping away. And if you're just staying static, if you're in the same place, you're slipping away because the Bible tells us that we're to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. All of that, well, we looked at the holding fast to faith and the slipping away, all sandwiched between Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Are you continuing on in fellowship as well? And so for the next few weeks, probably a good month or so, maybe even longer than that, we're going to be viewing film clips of faith. These people in the Bible who were very imperfect people, but the fact of the matter is they were people who moved forward in what God had called them to do. They held fast to faith. And so before we really get started, next week we'll be looking at Abel and we'll probably be looking at each individual for each service, which means we're doing three verses today and we're only doing one next week. But still, they're just this, this, this chapter speaks volumes on what a Christian life is to be. And now most of these people will just get snapshots that kind of, they kind of go into really what, what, what's to be added to the video, to the totality of my Christian life. And so in order to get started, and that's why we're just spending today on the first three verses, what's the definition of faith? How is, defa- how is faith defined, or how is it exemplified to mankind? There's basically two categorical types of people when it comes to faith. There's the professors of faith, those who profess faith, and there's the practitioners of faith. The church so easily thinks it glorifies God through the simple profession of faith, but then so quickly blasphemes him when we do not practice our faith. We profess faith on that day that we were saved, or at least that day that we think we were saved, but are you practicing your faith? 
Are you living your faith out in God? And we'll get into what exactly that means. But are people able to come and partake of your life and to see what God is able to do through just a a humble person? Are, are, Are people able to see the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ that was crucified upon the cross but is upon your life as well? And all of these things we've got to consider. We've got to make these things personal because it's not about Abel, Enoch, and all the other guys. Really, it's all about you. All, every service that we ever have, never look at anybody else. It's always all about you. And from my perspective, it's all about me. Because if God doesn't speak to us through his word, if God doesn't speak to us in this place, then we're just all wasting our time. It's good that you bring somebody to church. It's even necessary that you bring somebody to church. But don't think church is for somebody else. Church is for you. It's for you to grow. It's for you to understand where you're at today and praying that you're moving forward in the months and even years to come. And so the Bible, the Bible breaks it down even a step further. I'm not going to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus asks those people, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you make a profession of faith when you don't practice your faith? He, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do the things that I say? And so have we done that? Have, have I called Jesus Lord, Lord? Have I claimed to be a Christian? And then, not done the things that he has said. Not done the things that he has said through his word and the things that I know that he has spoken of to my heart. We've got to consider these things and take these things serious because how does he end that section in verse 23? Depart, I never knew you. Well, wait, wait, I called you Lord, Lord. I made a profession of faith. Yeah, but, but you never practiced your faith. Yeah, there was that one day, there was that one snapshot But I'm looking at the video, and after that one day, nothing else ever happened. Depart from me. I never knew you. You you thought you were doing something on that one day, but on that one day, there should be many more to follow that prove what has happened on that one day. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Depart from me. I have never known you. That should send shivers up and down our spine. That should cause us to consider where are we really at with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because just because you raised a hand, walked down an aisle, means nothing in the sight of God. The thing that means something in the sight of God is prayerfully it started at that time. I'm not putting that down. But as you look at the totality of your life, was there professing faith? But was there also practicing faith? Because practicing faith will always validate the profession of faith. So easy to speak the words, but you've got to live the life. You've got to walk the walk. The writer is building upon a concept that he introduced in the previous chapter. If you look at chapter 10, verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. And so we have a few examples as we enter into chapter 11 of just men and women who have walked or lived their lives in faith to God. And each one of these people, for the most part, I can point out and show you some pretty bad things that they've done, some ungodly things that they've done. But what overshone all of those things was their pushing forward in their faith. Verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so what we have here is not really a definition, it's more of a description of what faith is. And so what the writer of Hebrews seeks to do here is, is to illustrate faith. 
so that we would know within our lives, looking at the examples of so many others, to see this description and consider, does this apply to my life? Am I living my Christian life in such a way that I am doing what God has told me to do? He does so in three ways as he describes faith as being a foundation, a proof, and a witness. Saving faith is the foundation of what we are convinced to be true. My faith is the foundation. Once again, by grace you have been saved through faith. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm saved by grace through faith. Walking in faith is the proof of what is not yet seen. I believe that Jesus has gone and he has prepared. This has already happened for me in my life. He has gone and he has prepared a place for me. That I know that I have that place stored up for me. I know that, that my righteousness is waiting for me in heaven. That I'm going to have that spiritual body where there's going to be no more sorrow and no more tears. Since I have that hope, I'll exhibit it by speaking of what God has done. And then faith is the witness that we have throughout all of the ages. And that's what we're seeing here again in Hebrews chapter 11 is this witness, this witness of faith. This witness of faith, notice that you're not going to see any professions of faith here. You're going to see the practicing of faith. When God has chosen to display true faith to you, he chose to not use the profession, but the practicing of faith, that outward expression of faith that person has exhibited from deep within their soul. And so if I'm going to exhibit faith first to myself or to anybody else, I've got to practice it. It's got to have some kind of effect in my life, and really, I guess I should say, through my life. So again, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. As we get started, we'll look at a couple lexicon definitions here. Substance, next to the word substance, for clarification, you could write confidence. Now faith is the confidence of things hoped for. John MacArthur said, faith is living in a hope that is so real that it gives absolute assurance. And so it's a confidence, it's the surety, the knowledge that I have of what I hope for. Now what I hope for, it almost seems to be a contradiction of terms, but here this word is a lot stronger than how we use the word hope. It's not like I hope I get into heaven. This is a sure thing. Remember, faith, trusting in God for today, hope, trusting in God for tomorrow. And so faith is the substance or it's the confidence that I have in my future and that my future is held in the hands of not me, of not somebody else, but my future is in the hands of a holy God. He who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And so what that tells me is I don't have to maintain it. See, by grace you've been saved and it isn't by works that you have to maintain it. It's held in the hands of God. So the day I get saved, then I can just go on like I was before? Well, certainly not. How can we who've been delivered to sin continue on in sin again? You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You're going to exhibit this change that has occurred in your life. And you're going to see that change through the faith that you have. But, but see, so many times we look at the exhibiting of faith and just this, what we're putting out. 
a production. And it is that which radiates out from us, but we got to see what you're going to get from that. You're going to have a confidence. As you have that surety deep within your heart, you're going to have a confidence in your faith and a confidence in what God has done, is doing, and is going to do that is just going to give you, well, we met last Sunday morning, and we had no idea what was going to occur Sunday night. Nobody, except for that one person, knew what was going to happen in Las Vegas last Sunday night. And look at the lives that were altered. Sure, there was the 50 people who were killed, without a doubt. Heart breaks for those people and their families. But even the 500 and so that were wounded, their lives were altered as well. You don't hear about the people who are in surgery and people maybe who are crippled or lost organs or whatever. Their life was just completely changed. And if this life is all that you have... You need to see how fragile that is. If this life is all that I have and then I I, I lose a, a portion of it because of some crazy man who is able to alter my life, what sense really does that make? And, and where are we safe? It wasn't like they were in a battlefield. They were off at entertainment. And, and, and you see that God, when he knocks on the doors of the human heart, he enters into all areas. Are you saying that God caused this to happen? No. God did not cause it to happen, but obviously we know that God allows these things to happen because mankind, we live in a fallen world. And we live in the world where the prince of the power of the air is the devil. And the devil is able to fill. I mean, they're looking at this man and they're trying to say, what was the motivation of this man? What was it that caused him to do what he did? How did he have such a heart? It's because his heart was under the sway of the wicked one. And again, we need to understand that and see that. But really, what is it that gives us hope in the midst of all of that? What is it that outshines all of that? The faith that we have in God and the hope that we have in the future. So if you have no hope, you have no faith, then you're just going to have a mess. And there's just not a lot that's able. You can put Band-Aids on it, but it'll never really be fixed. So because of this living hope, men and women place their physical lives unconditionally into the hands of God. Now, a concept that might best be seen through the antithesis of it in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 to 22, God has just given Jacob great promises. He told him that he's going to provide for him. He's going to be his God and, and, and all of these great things in future generations and, and all of this. And then later on, Joseph starts adding conditions to it. Well, if you provide for me, if you give me food to eat, and he starts giving me all these ifs, then I'll worship you. And that's not how it works. That's not faith. Faith is giving of yourselves to God regardless of of what it is that you get from it. It's understanding who God is and wanting to be part of God's plan and entering in to God's purposes and giving of yourself fully and never holding anything back out. Now, faith is the substance of things. That's going to be one of the subtopics of our couples retreat, things. What are things? Because a lot of times things pop up and you can wonder what things are. Well, context dictates what things are. And in this particular case, remember speaking to the Jewish mind. And so this is speaking of an Old Testament context that defines things. Things here are the promises of God. Now, faith is the substance of promises of God that have hoped for. It's the future and a hope that God has given to us. Because what else are you going to be dependent upon? The only thing that, that makes sense to build faith upon is the foundation of the word or the promises of God. 
If you look over at, in the same chapter here, Hebrews chapter 11, look at 30 and 39. And all of these, all of those people before us, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now notice here, promise is singular. What's the promise? The promise was the coming Messiah. What do we have that so much is better? We can look back at the gospel. These people here, they had the gospel in the Old Testament, but not defined and fulfilled as we have it today because of Christ coming, because the word was manifest to mankind and made flesh. How much more so should we be exhibiting faith, faith and trust in God who has revealed himself to us so that there's no, there, there, there's no shadow of doubt. And the only doubt that's able to enter in is that which enters in through the door of a doubting mind. And so what we'll see here is that faith, it motivated Abel to a better sacrifice. Enoch walked with God. Noah built an ark. Abraham went and Isaac blessed and Jacob worshiped. Joseph, he determined that he wanted to be buried, his body kept, so that when God fulfilled his promise of the promised land, that his body would be buried there and not of Egypt. Again, he was thinking forward based upon the future promises of God. Moses was able to forsake Egypt because he knew that there was an emptiness to that in comparison to the promises that he had from God. Joshua and Rahab, we see the great work that God did through their faith in Jericho. And then, starting at verse 32 all the way to 40, there's many others that arrives all the way through to our doorstep as we consider ourselves. Now, faith is the substance, or it's the confidence of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Evidence, a sure conviction. And the idea is conviction or motivation to the point of action. We have so many common everyday convictions based upon faith. Now, you'll work for 40 hours a week and you'll get that paycheck. And that paycheck is valuable to you. You need it to live upon. It provides for your family. It represents your, your, your sweat and your effort and all that that you've put in. Some, you've been wanting to do something else, but you had to work that job. And now you get the paycheck. And what do you do? You go to the bank and you give it to a complete stranger. And you don't know what they're doing with that. They, they, could, be, they could have a shredder under there. They could be taking the money out and putting it in their pocket. You just have no, but you've got complete faith in your bank. And then there's even direct deposit that you're really having to think, okay, well, they're taking my check, they're giving it to the bank, they've cut me out of the equation, and I get this little email that's saying that I got the money, but how do I really know? Well, it's worked out pretty good up to now, Pastor Mike. I've never had any of those things happen, but how do you know you're not going to happen next week? And what if it does? What if it does, and what if it just delays your paycheck for a couple of weeks? Most of us live from paycheck to paycheck, but you've got great faith. Well, you turn on the tap water and you drink the water that comes out. How do you know what's really in that stuff? Well, you have great faith as you drink it. On the way home, when you're driving and you bring it up to 60 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone and you decide it's time to slow down, you step on your brakes. How do you know that the brakes are really going to work? When we go to Israel, we are all going to depend upon the laws of aerodynamics. I don't do well with that, but nonetheless, I'm going to be depending upon that very greatly, that the plane is going to remain in the air. And, and 
Uh-oh, hopefully we don't have a prophetess here. But the thing about it is, in the 1960s, my father used to work in the aerospace industry, and my father was scared to death of flying. Now, I'm not to that degree. I just am uncomfortable. But I remember my father telling me every single time, you know who built that airplane? Well, no, who? The lowest bidder. And it always made me think, what did they leave out that the highest bidder put in? But most of you just jump on the airplane and you don't think twice about these things. And so there's things, everyday occurrences in our lives that we exhibit faith just without even thinking about it. How much more so should we be exhibiting faith in our living God who has shown us through the changed life of the believer what he's able to do? Remember, the greatest testimony of faith that you are able to have or that you do have is your Christian life, is who you used to be and who you are now. That's why I point that out from time to time. If you see no change between the two, then there's no surety there. But that's the greatest testimony that I have. If doubt enters in, I'm just always reminded of who I used to be and who God is creating, has created me to be now. Not that I've obtained, I haven't. None of us have. But I do see a, a profound change that, that, that is exhibited there. So to the degree that you believe this about yourself is the degree that you will dedicate your life to the Lord. Faith is the substance, or it is the um, confidence of things hoped for, and it is the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. And so we go through, as we're studying this and looking at all these different people, we see how that relates to them, and we see why they were so motivated to do what they were called to do. And they gave, some of these people gave all. And matter of fact, even goes into the testimonies once again, starting at verse 32 to the end of the chapter, and how people were willing to give up their lives because chapter one, or chapter 11, verse 1 was so strong. It was so ingrained into who they were that they were able to do all to give all to Jesus, if you will. Verse 2. For by it, for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Keep in mind the Jewish mind here. The Jews wanted to come before God with a series of snapshots of him, of the Jew, doing good and godly things. Here, Lord, come on, sit down. Let me show you my photo album. Here's one two-thousandth of a second here at this point in my life. Three years later, here's one two-thousandth of a second. And over here is one two-thousandth of a second. Well, again, that's just not going to get it in the sight of God because the devil, the devil has volumes of one two thousandth of a second of you doing not so great because just as thick as whatever our good and godly uh, photo album is, can you imagine, they're going to have to bring a truckload in of some of our photo albums of the bad things that we've done, the things that were contrary to the Lord. And I say us, all of us here. And so... It's by faith that man has always obtained a good story of their lives before God. So the snapshot, that would be entitled The Works of Pastor Mike. But the video, that would be entitled The Life of Faith of Pastor Mike or of you or whoever. For some, it's a full featured film. For others, it's a short story. Either way, it's okay. We come to God with what we have. We, we come to the Lord and understanding that it's at the beginning of my life that I was saved. It's at the end of my life that I was saved. But the fact of the matter is, is that I was saved. That not only did I make that profession of faith, but also I went forth 
and try to fulfill the, 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 the great commission that God has given me in my life. And it's as that has happened, as that has occurred, that I can have a confidence in this life. When the devil starts speaking or sowing doubt into my life, I can remember these things that are sure. Remember these things that have been given to me by God, and it's for the purpose of grasping on when those times come that I wouldn't stop, that I wouldn't quit, and that I wouldn't give up. We have a monument here in verse 11 for those who, again, some of them were afraid. Moses said, you know, here I am, send somebody else. Again, it wasn't that they just boldly, because they weren't doing it in the flesh, but nonetheless, they ended up moving forward. So we have this monument, but there are no monuments to quitters. Again, there's not a chapter dedicated to those who did not exhibit faith. We all know of the failures, and far be it from us that we would be counted amongst the failures. And so, full-featured film, short story, either way, Luke chapter 17, verse 6. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, mustard seed is the smallest seed of a plant that would bear fruit, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And his point here is you're just even with a little bit of faith, you're able to do great things. Because see, if God gave me to correct chapter 11, I probably look at some of these guys and I start crossing them off the list. But the problem is when you start doing that, you realize that if you honestly look at your life, it would be crossed off the list as well. And the fact of the matter is, as long as there's at least mustard seed faith, you're all good. We're all good. They're good. It's always been that way. And it will always be that way. Verse 3 By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Our society has gone to great lengths to eradicate faith from, well, really from every facet of our lives. Man has come to the point that if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't hear it, if you can't taste it, if you can't smell it, it doesn't exist. Man's faith today is not based upon the Bible, obviously. It's based upon the telescope and it's based upon the microscope. And to really see the folly of this thinking, even the things that man can sense are no longer absolutes anymore. We cannot define who a man and a woman is as a society any longer. We've rejected God and we've rejected common sense and we see the reflection of that in how things are. Again, if you look back, if you go back to... Now, I know there was always a sinful condition of man, so throughout our society it was never perfect, but you just see this slippery slope that we're riding on as a society even right now. You saw the 50s and you see the innocence of the 50s and usually these things are reflected in the arts. If you want to know a reflection of a society at a point in time, at a snapshot in time, if you will, look at the arts. You look at the movies that were made. You look at the songs that were sung. You look at these things, the plays that were out there and whatnot, and there was an innocence to these things in the 50s. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, man was still sinful. There's no doubt about that. But at least there was a respect for morality. And and really what I'm gauging here is how far down society has gone on the morality scale. You go to the 60s and all of a sudden there's revolution and there's children rebelling against their parents. There's the sexual revolution and all of those revolutions we lost. And you see, there was this big change that was reflected, and you see this, song, see this reflected in the songs and the movies in the 60s. All of a sudden, even X-rated movies are starting to come into vogue. 
And the songs, the songs are never, I want to, well, it started out with, I want to hold your hand, and it ended, why don't we do it in the road? And, and you see these things and, and how they are, they, they just become so accepted. And, and so you've got these things. Out. I, re, I remember in the 70s, there was a uh, TV show called Soap. Um, it, it had some people living together and gay lifestyle. It had all this stuff, and there was this big outrage in, in the Catholic Church. We were signing petitions and all of these things going on. That's small potatoes today. That's nothing. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of cartoons that are probably based upon what that show was about. And so really what there is is a desensitizing of society. And then, okay, we enter into the 70s and, well, the drugs in the beginning of the 60s, at least, well, you know, drop some acid and you'll see God. You'll, you'll become more creative if you do this. Well, they realize that doesn't work, but if you drop this, you can at least zone out or zone in or, you know, whatever, go into the ozone. And, and so now drugs, instead of it's the martini of the 50s, drugs have become the way of unwinding. And then we take that and we move into the 80s, we move into the 90s, move all the way through to our day. And if you look, we were there at the 50s, again, lost apart from Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, but you need to see the reflection of society to see how far it has moved away from God. And if you look at the 50s, you've seen that it's gone progressively down. And even in the last 10, 20 years, it's almost as if it's dropped off a cliff. And so let me tell you, what's it going to be like apart from revival? What's it going to be like 10 years from now? I was looking at my grandkids, and I'm thinking, what is it going to be like? If the Lord tarries, what's it going to be like in their days? And I just see how society is so fragmented and even torn today, and we've got to see the necessity not just of praying, but we do, because everything starts with prayer, but of us professing faith, but also practicing our faith, Because time is of the essence and lives hang in the balance because God has chosen to use you. Romans chapter 1 verse 22, again, this defines our society perfectly. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. A fool in the scripture is often used for a wicked or depraved person, one who acts contrary to sound wisdom in his moral deportment one who follows his own inclinations, who prefers trifling and temporary pleasures to the service of God and eternal happiness. The wise, they have the power of discerning and judging correctly, of discriminating between what is true and what is false, between what is fit and proper and what is improper. Wisdom is the proper application of biblical knowledge. Today we have a society that searches out for experiences And these are things that Bible offers us through faith. We're able to have experiences that that will just fill our lives if we would just take that step, trusting in the Lord. Again, verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So what the writer does is he takes us back to the basic foundation of faith at the creation of the world. See, without faith, it's impossible to understand Genesis chapter 1. How can you possibly understand Genesis chapter 1? How can you possibly understand the first few verses of verse 1? In the beginning, God. And so if you don't have faith there, the rest of the Bible is going to make absolutely no sense to you whatsoever. And and you notice that the Bible, how, how poignant it is, it's not saying, it's not asking you to accept God. It's not 
even presenting a way for you to, you know, asking you to even believe in God. It's emphatically presenting the statement so that there's no, there's just absolutely no doubt about it. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes into seven literal days of creation. And really, you see the Bible, what's the best way to attack it? Right at the beginning, right out of the boat. And that's where it's being attacked. And actually, the enemy is gaining a strong foothold within the church. I was talking to my, our, our Christian pastor, our Christian pastor, our youth pastor. Well, he is a Christian. Our youth pastor. And uh, we went to, well, I was going to say, a Christian apologetic conference. And, uh, and a lot of these people that are teaching this conference has gone over to the millions and millions of years. They're talking about these things and all the kids are, wait a minute, what? And they're challenging them on it. And, and so if the enemy can sow seeds of doubt right at the beginning, I guarantee you it's going to flow throughout all of the Bible. Because if you find one thing that's not true in the Bible, one doctrinal statement that's not true in the Bible, the rest will fall like dominoes. But the thing about it is, they've been searching for thousands of years to find one, and they've yet to find even one. So the writer brings us back to that necessary place right at the beginning. And so man, man is having to describe, and that's always been a problem to man apart from God, trying to describe our existence. I was driving here this morning and looked up into the mountains and just saw the beauty of the mountains and the clarity of it all. And you just see this beauty that God has given us. And man has to do something with them. There's a few theories. There's the nebula theory that gases and particles gathered together just to simply form mass. They, they collided together and they, they started forming mass and it started to build and compound upon that. There's the steady state theory. Man continues to produce mass. I'm sorry, mass continues to produce mass. And all that has been around forever and will be is already here. And so mass just formed more mass and it formed, I mean, you got to go to some pretty ridiculous conclusions. There's the Big Bang Theory. Well, we kind of hold to that. God spoke and bang, there it is, but not according to the same way that they believe. But then, you know, it wasn't until the end of the 1800s and there was a profound change that occurred at the end of the 1800s. First of all, there was the Civil War. Man started doubting the existence of God. He saw that, how can, how can man just, just slaughter one another like this? And that caused a seed of doubt to enter in. Universities, compound word, university, diversity of all that exists is unified under the teaching of God. The main universities that existed at the time were seminaries. But all that started to change. General Chamberlain, or Colonel Chamberlain, he's the one uh, who, got, who received the Medal of Honor, did some pretty valiant things in... Um, Gettysburg, he was one of the leaders of the secularization of our education system and did great damage to it all. And so there was this profound change that started to occur around that time. And really what caused it to speed up was Darwin and his theories that remain theories today of evolution. Now all of a sudden, man has all of this worldview, but nothing really to unify it. And what does he do? I mean, what unifies us? God. Well, now man has developed a religion for his worldview, evolution. 
And that gave man permission to push God out of the equation and to freely believe in that which is contrary to God. Now we've got this basis on which we are able to move forward in basically how we want to believe. And they've moved forward in faith in a theory. Do you want your mere existence to be founded upon a theory? Uh, really an unproven and inability to prove that theory. I see the reality of God again just simply in my changed life and I experience it in the lives of others and the miracles that I see God doing to even today. Subtle but real nonetheless. And so we see the world and how, how it has gone as they have done away with faith and now we see where it brings us to. No big deal for a man just to go and to take the lives of so many people. Chicago, every week, that many people are shot in Chicago. You don't hear much about that. And this is a place, that, and I'm, I'm not perpetuating guns or going anywhere in the gun control thing, but they have outlawed guns in that area. And people are still being killed in, in great numbers there and, and wounded. And you just see, man, is, well, let's, let's legislate this. Let's legislate. Let's make California a sanctuary state. Now, isn't that kind of cool? We're a, I don't think it takes effect until 2018. That means you can just go out and, ah, a sanctuary. It sounds really nice. What do you think that's going to bring? Everybody doing what is right in their own sight. If you read the end of Judges, it ain't a good thing at all. And so we've got laws in the land. Why? Because God has given us laws. And it's that which keeps man moving in a good and godly direction. And it's that as we see in operation that we see faith strengthen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles and we're going to close over in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 20. It's kind of an upsetting thing when I tell you to turn somewhere, and I turn somewhere, and that's not what I was wanting to talk about. Um, But I was in chapter 10. I am now in chapter 11 of the Gospel of Mark, verse 20. It says, Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, look, or Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So he's speaking of faith, and really the point of our Lord is how to maintain a fervent faith in your Christian life. I want to just look, close with four quick things, and and that you would consider, that you would consider in means of which you're able to maintain a fervent faith in your Christian life. Number one is proper root care. Verses 20 and 21, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So, proper root care. My wife and I, we had this peach tree. It sat right next to our apricot tree. Our apricot tree delivered abundantly. The peach tree was a mutant. It just never grew. 
It never grew and it never produced. I shouldn't say never. It did produce some, but they were inedible. And so my wife said, finally, you know, we need to get rid of that. And so I, no, let's give it another year. We gave it another year, still didn't do anything. So finally, I went and I'm going to dig it up. So dig it up, got to dig around it in order to get the root ball and everything out. So first shovel, I put it in, pulled the dirt back and the tree fell over. It was never going to produce. It had no roots. It had no root system, and so that tree was never going to produce fruit. How's your roots? How is your roots? We need to consider this because we live in a very spiritually dry time. The roots, the roots are a secret part of that tree that nobody sees. It's that secret part that only the plant knows and God knows. I didn't know that. I would have dug that tree up years before if I, re- if I realized that the roots were retarded like they were. But since I couldn't see it, I didn't know. What would be the roots of a Christian life for the purpose of maintaining fervent faith? That would be your daily devotions. What does daily devotions force you to do? To spend personal time with God. This is corporate time with God. It's a good thing. There needs to be personal time with God. That's an essential thing. Personal prayer. Nobody else enters into your personal prayer time. That's between you and the Lord. And then fruitful fellowship. Fruitful fellowship would be that which you instigate for the purpose of seeing others grow in their faith. And again, all centered on God's word. So first, you need to exercise proper root care. Secondly, have fervent faith by turning to the object of your faith, God. Verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Notice he didn't just say, have faith, because that's silly. You can have faith in me. You can have faith in this microphone stand if you want. Well, Penny put an iPad on it. She's got an element of faith because these things aren't cheap. But she stuck it on the iPad, and then she walked away. Apparently, she's got faith in me, and I'm not going to steal it. But you have to have faith in God. To have faith in faith itself is attempt to will things into our lives or force God's hands. A lot of the so-called Christian, not all of them, but a lot of the so-called Christian shows that you see on TV, they're all about faith in faith rather than faith in God. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, one thing, probably should have brought it up at the beginning, the contrast between faith and belief. Faith is the noun, belief is the verb form of the noun. Belief is an active portion of our faith. And so as we see the belief that I have, that shows me that I am a man, a person of faith. Faith in God is what we are to have, and belief is how we know we have it. Thirdly, have fervent faith by releasing your faith through the spoken word. Well, the reason I say that, because verse 23, I've underlined it three times. The word says, for surely, now this is Jesus speaking, it's all Jesus speaking, but nonetheless, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, that he will have whatever he says. And so what this person is doing, the one whom the Lord is using as an example, he's going on record. He's putting himself out there. And that's the scary part of Christianity. 
We've got door-to-door. It's coming up at the end of the month, and most people, I wouldn't mind going door-to-door, but kind of guy, I, I'm putting myself out there. And then the mindset is, what, what if, what if, you know, get into an argument and I'm found to be the fool, whatever. We're, we're worried about putting ourselves out there. We're worried about going on record. What if I can't defend this? What if I can't defend myself? Well, faith is going on record. It's not being, there's no such thing as being an undercover Christian. I look from page to page, it's all about proclamation. It's all about putting it all out there, having that confidence. Hebrews thirteen five through 6, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord Jesus Christ going on record. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And so we go on record based upon what Christ has already gone on record. And so as I make these proclamations, they're based upon proclamations that the Lord has already made. And then fourthly, to have fervent faith, you must be a person of prayer. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Prayer is essential. I don't take prayer lightly. We, I believe, are a praying church. At least the opportunity is there. We gather for prayer at noon every time in my office. I know most people aren't able to make it, but nonetheless, we're praying for the things of this church. Before service, the men gather in one room, the women gather in the other, and prayer is going out. And there's many opportunities throughout both private and public prayer. Prayer will change your desire and conform them to the will of God. Just think of the faith that you would have if you knew God's will. Well, prayer conforms us to the will of God so that we would have an idea, that we would have a knowledge of what God desires, and based upon that, we would be able to move forward. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, in our fleshliness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us. So this is basically saying God even helps you to pray with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you are honestly praying, and I say honestly because it's something we can do half-heartedly as well, but when we wholeheartedly enter into prayer, God enters in with us. God directs us, and God shows us what his will is. And so these things are reality of faith. Now in the weeks to come, we're going to see these things exemplified by those who have gone before us. And there's just going to be a short sampling, basically, you should be able to see these. You should be able to see them in your life. You definitely should see them in a the life of somebody else. These things should be very prevalent throughout the body of Christ, that we see that we're unified, we're moving together, just as people have always moved together in the Lord and what God has called and commanded them to do and who God has called and commanded them to be. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us these practical things, these practical things, Father, that... Oh, Lord, there's just so many obstacles, or at least potential obstacles, perceived obstacles, that are out there. But I just pray, Father, that we would be a people who continue to push forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. And the only way to possibly do that is through faith. 
And so, Father, I pray that those who are here today would consider the things that have been said, that, Lord, they would look at these things and, and, and make the determination, are these things applying to my life? Are these things applying to our lives? And, Father, if there's anywhere where anybody has fallen short, you're the God of second chances. We have that opportunity to repent and to move forward. And so, Father, as you have given us this lesson today, I just pray, Father, that we would see the practical benefit of it reflected in the lives of those who have heard it. And so, Father, we just lift up today once again, thanking you for your goodness, your graciousness that allows us to gather together. We pray for this coming week, Father, that we would make a difference. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things.